There is no other podcast like this, so proceed with caution as we challenge your beliefs by providing the forbidden information kept away from you and your family by modern medicine so they can keep you on the path of drugs for anything and drugs for everything. Hundreds of years of preventative medical wisdom have been dismantled by Big Pharma. We are truly in the dark ages of healing. After all, it's not just about living long. It's about living well. If your continuing search for answers has led you nowhere, you will find the truth here on the Forbidden Doctor Podcast. Seek the truth with your hosts, Dr. Jack and Mary Stockwell. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Jack. And Mary. And we are here with Podcast 87, 108 Ways Sugar Destroys Health. Yeah, we're not going to go through 108 no. ways, but we're going to give you a handout that has that. Yeah, with uh, every one of the 108 ways referenced to a reliable source. Yeah. These aren't just little things. These are important. And the reason referenced... why they're important is because Americans consume more than 180 pounds of sugar every year. That's a half a pound of sugar a day. That's four cups? No, two two cups. Two cups. Two cups. Two cups of sugar a day. Wow. So this is kind of like committing suicide by sugar. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that in today's program. But before we do, we want to remind you about our symptom survey. We have a new one, and we love it. It's got some fun questions on it. And you just go to our website, ForbiddenDoctor.com. And if you're not a member yet, you sign up. And do the website, I mean, and do the survey. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really simple. It'll take <laughs> you a few minutes. You send it to us, and then we'll send you back the keys to the kingdom. Yes. And another thing we're doing here today is we are simultaneously recording a webinar along with this podcast, so we're a little confused here for a minute, but we're going to be fine. Well, this is the first time, so, you know, we might uh, fall down and bang our head a couple times, <laughs> but we'll be all right. But what you don't have to fall down and bang your head on is how... The supplements you need to take, the instructions that you need to help you, support you in any problem you have in your body. Instead of running and getting antibiotics or medicine or drugs, first try to heal it foundationally with good food. And, and we, ha we have over 700 protocols on, this, on our website uh, inviting you in there to learn about these things that will take care of 700 maladies that are all food-based. Yeah, so if you have adrenal fatigue, you simply go in there and type in adrenal fatigue, and up pops the protocol, the protocol for that. So tell your friends, tell your families, and um, let's heal the world. All right, so we want to get to our weekly feature that we normally do, the forbidden secrets they don't want you to know. These are the secrets they keep from you, the dumb things they tell you, and the really important things. They just know nothing about. Today's feature is just a real simple article that we found on our local news. Researchers have created an antibiotic gel to tackle ear infections. That's the name of the title, Researchers Creating Antibiotic Gel. And I actually laud them for this. I think this is really nice. This is much better than putting antibiotics through your gut orally, through your gut. That destroys everything, including, you know, hopefully the pathogen. But now they've created this gel. They ha it's not out yet. It, they've just tested it on this really strange animal called a chinchilla. Have you ever heard of a chinchilla? Oh, chin yeah, chinchillas. I've never heard of that. Well, they're, they're not like a mink. They're like a, 
There's chinchilla fur coats. It's it's bigger than a mink. Well, uh, these these chinchillas with their earaches. I don't know how they gave them earaches, mm. but they say they that played rock music all night long. <laughs> But they've created this antibiotic gel that coats the animal's eardrums and it slowly seeps inside to do its job for a week, clearing up an infection that usually requires a 10-day course of oral antibiotics. Yeah, and, and while, while we recommend for ear infections something other than antibiotics, at least they're not putting it into the bloodstream. Yeah, I like this. Yeah. Into the gut, actually. Which, which is, we'll get to the gut. Yeah. So I, I like this. But at the end of the article... Yeah, it, you're right. You're right, the gut. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, right. it is the gut. But regardless, at, at the end of the article, it's so great because there's a whole bunch of comments. And every one of the comments, just about, is saying, oh, we'll do warm garlic oil or do olive oil in the ears. And we always recommend... We recommend mullen and garlic together. You can get usually get those in the health food store. Or little drops. Just little drops. Put them in both sides, regardless of which ear is hurting. Put them in both ears, stuff in some cotton swabs. And warm it. And warm it up. What we do is, what we used to do with the kids when they were very young is we'd put it in a teaspoon and then hold the teaspoon in our hand till our hand warmed it up. Then pour it in from the teaspoon into their ear. Yeah. And put in cotton balls. And, and, we, they, and they'd go to sleep. We only did this once yeah. with our son, Rourke. Yep. He had never had antibiotics, never had an ear infection. But one time he was out in the wind or something all evening came in he was he was four years old and i remember because he was sleeping by our bed and so we put those drops in his ears with a little cotton ball and never had a problem again he woke up fine the next day so when you don't get in this horrible loop of antibiotics i just had a patient text me yesterday who's gotten a uti and of course she got on antibiotics and now she's got a kidney infection and and she, she calls me about every three months with some horrible infection yeah. Because she so strips her gut every single time. And I said, you've got to get out of this loop. You well, the, yeah, you're right. The antibiotic loop is very difficult to get out of mm -hmm. because it works temporarily. Yeah. And then the bad ones survive and they come back at you and then it works temporarily well, and then the bad ones survive. It strips your gut. And so you're sitting duck for yeah. anything else that's going to come along. And so anyway, at the bottom of this article, there's some really good. Um, I wanted to read one of you. One, one of them. It says, we spent hundreds on doctor's visits and antibiotics and we're about to go get with tubes. My mother convinced us to try the, chiroprac the chiropractor before doing tubes. The chiropractor told us he had a 100% success rate. He's a little cocky. Here. Well, I, I have an extremely high success rate <laughs> with childhood ear infections, too, and there's a good reason well, why. I know. Well, that's what she continues on. She says, the chiropractor told us he had a 100% success rate, and he was right. After seeing him, our son's ears cleared right up. No tubes needed. Our next son had ear infection troubles, and the chiropractor worked his magic again. No antibiotics and no tubes. I'm not sure what to believe, but I know what he did worked. Yeah. Well, people think chiropractors are backcrackers. And, they, and, you know, we're nerve specialists. Yeah. The, the amount of neurology that we get in school uh, is, is, is more than the average medical student gets well, through structural. their first four years. And the sympathetic aspect of the nervous system that comes out of the spine um, controls blood dilation or constriction in the sinus mucosa and in the inner ear and middle ear structures. It, it, clean, it straightens up the structure too, right? Yeah, well, what a misalignment will do will interrupt... Uh, will cause a negative amount of blood flow to critical tissues that mm. will make it a sitting duck for bacteria. After a chiropractic adjustment, those things open up, blood flow restores to a, to a maximum, 
and the immune system gets in there and does its job. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, anyway, there was some, there's other remedies at the bottom of this article, too, and um, maybe we'll put that link in the podcast. So the things that they tell you, things they know nothing about, they don't tell you about going to get a chiropractic adjustment when you have ear infections. They don't tell you to put warm garlic in your ear. So I just thought I'd bring that up really... And mullen. You want to use mullen. M-U-L-L-E-I-N. Lobelia. Lobelia, if you can find it. Yeah, and some people said lavender helps. Essential oil. Lavender. I, I haven't experienced that. That's some of the comments at the bottom. So I'm I'm in, I'm thrilled that they're getting this gel instead of an oral antibiotic for these little kids now. But um, there's other ways even still. Today's podcast is all the different ways that sugar can hurt you. And what what is really wrong with sugar? Well, sugar is pure sucrose to begin with. It's what's known as a disaccharide, which means a, a, a disaccharide. There's a monosaccharide, which would be like fructose. Uh, there's a disaccharide, which is two sugars. Glucose and fructose, Yeah, right? which would be glucose and fructose. And they're extracted from sugar cane or sugar beets. And it's a very devitalized, uh, devitalized, let me say, just the vitality has been removed. And refined. In the sense that it has no vitamins, it has no minerals. Uh, Dr. Price, Weston A. Price, that we've quoted many times in our podcast, refers to sugar as, quote, displacing food of modern commerce. In other words, uh, people will eat more sugary stuff than dense foods that they really need to maintain their health. Uh, the, the, the native peoples that he studied, he noticed that whenever sugars were introduced into their culture in the sense of processed flours, processed sugars, their health would begin to decline immediately. Yeah, in the 1700s, the average consumption of sugar was only four pounds per person per year. In the 1800s, the consumption was 18 pounds per year. In the 1900s, consumption was 90 pounds per year. That's 100 years ago. It still jumped to 90 pounds. And remember, 100 years ago, which would be 2000 or 1916, heart disease was only just beginning to show up. Cancer was still somewhere around 9 or 10 in the top 10 killers. Today, consumption's around 108 pounds per person per year or about one half pound of sugar per day. And most of that, of course, since 1975 has been in the form of uh, high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. Uh, high fructose, uh, high sugar diet, high fructose is particularly damaging for children at, because it displaces the high density foods like meat, butter, eggs, liver, cheese, which children have to have. Yeah, because those foods are loaded with proteins, the amino acids, the uh, essential fatty acids. Mm -hmm. And so what they'll do is they'll have a piece of toast as they run out, maybe half a glass of orange juice and a piece of toast as they run out of the house to go to school in the morning. The, the toast has got probably at least a teaspoon of sugar in it. But it fills and, them up. And the uh, orange juice has one or two teaspoons of sugar in it. Oh, it has lots. And it's, they're gone. Yeah. They're gone, and then maybe they'll get a school lunch. Maybe they won't. Maybe they keep themselves hungry all the day long because they're scared to death of putting on one ounce of fat. But you can't grow on that, and it sets them up for serious diseases in the future. Well, the like diabetes. diabetes, heart disease, cancer, depression, yeah. the kinds of things that were almost unknown of 100 years ago. So what we want to talk about now, and uh, Mary and I have been talking about this quite a bit re recently, is some work that was done by Nancy Appleton, a Ph.D. research scientist, 
This was published a year ago, the way that sugar will suppress the immune system. And the thing that you were pointing out a few minutes ago, Mary, when we were going through this, was how long it's how long this data has been available. Yeah, about 70 years. The stuff that we're going to talk about here yeah. has been around for a long time. Now, um, there's some research that was done in 1964 that, that we want to spend some time with, uh, and then a similar study that took place nine years later in 1973. And it's where... Something called the phagocytic index was measured in different people. Now, phagocytic, you've heard of phagocytes. Maybe you have a phagocyte as part of your white blood cells that go around eating up the bad guys. Phagocyte is Latin. Phago, Phago is to eat, to eat and, and cyte is cell. Yeah, so eat cells. So they're cells that eat. Yeah, they're hungry. They're, yes, they they're are. They're out there looking for proteins. And the idea is, is that you have a very high phagocytic index. Yeah, they're and bug so, eaters. And the, they're, well, that's what they are. They're out they're, there looking for bugs. Inside the bloodstream, mm-hmm. inside tissues, mm-hmm. inside the lymph, the lymph, <clears throat> the lymph cells are um, the police stations of the human body, the lymphatic aspects, and that's where these guys hang out. And when the call is out there, the phagocytes are released. They flush into the bloodstream, looking for the enemy. And how active that is in anybody is known as the phagocytic index. And the way they determine that is they'll take some of your blood and they put it in a Petri dish with bacteria. Now, the Petri dish has uh, a media in there that keeps the blood alive. So this is all taking place uh, under a microscope. And so they, they will put the blood in the Petri dish that has the leukocytes, the white blood cells in there, and they, and they wait about an hour after the, and they, and the bacteria is in there as well. And so after about an hour, they take the, the, the sample and they stain it and they look at it underneath a microscope and they count up the first 100 leukocytes that they can find. And they look for the germs that have been eaten by the leukocytes that will stand out in the microscopic field because of the stain that they've used. And mm-hmm. the average number of germs per leukocyte is calculated by averaging 100 of them. And that becomes the phagocytic index. And higher, of course, is always better. The more bacteria that you see inside of a phagocyte, the better the phagocytic action is and the higher the phagocytic index. No, inside of a leukocyte. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the the leukocyte is the phagocyte. Yeah. So So how much is eaten? Yeah, they they stain the leukocyte Mm -hmm. and then they count the number of bacteria inside of it. Right. And so the, the average... The average for, for a person who has average morning, uh, what's called fasting glucose, in other words, their morning sugar when they wake up, average, I think the latest numbers are 75 to 95. Yeah, 88 I've always 88, heard. 88 I heard, yeah, is, is, is considered optimum. Yeah. And so the, the fasting the phagocytic index for someone who has normal blood sugar, non-diabetic, not pre-diabetic or anything else, is about 14 to 16 is the phagocytic index, 14 to 16. And so a non-diabetic person that fasts for 12 hours will usually have phagocytes that kill between 14 and 16 foreign invaders each during the test that they're doing. So uh, back in 64, there's this study that takes place, and, and uh, this information will be made available to you. Well, it's on the us. webinar, our new it's webinar. It's going to be in a webinar. Um, they, they took 45 diabetics in this study. And the researchers just took the fasting glucose readings because high glucose levels are the normal state of being. These people weren't having 75 to 95 morning blood sugars. They were having a lot higher than that. And the 13 people who were deemed diabetic out of this group had 
uh, fasting phagocytic indices that were grouped into different groups. And at the higher end of the table where the blood glucose ran really high was like 174. And on the, uh, the highest that they did was 380. That's pretty high. If, if you had a morning blood sugar of 380, you would definitely be considered diabetic, and sure. you're probably on insulin. Yeah. So what happened was, of these people, they had consistently lower and lower and lower, depending on their morning blood sugar. The higher the morning blood sugar, the lower the phagocytic index. And of 22 people who had high morning blood sugars, they had phagocytic indices that were just barely greater than one. And the highest one was 380, a morning blood sugar of 380. Their phagocytic index was 0.1. Really bad. 0.1. So That's their immune system was, was 160 times weaker yeah. than the average person. Now, if you're not diabetic, you're saying, well, what's this got to do with me? Aha, we have the answer. <laughs> because knowing this information... What they did then was to pull in normal people. Now, normal people uh, in the sense that they have morning blood sugars of normal levels, 75 to 95. And they took nine of these people, and they were giving a fasting blood test, which means the first test that they did in the morning was what their morning blood sugar would indicate, normal blood sugar. And then they gave them glucose to swallow, and then they tested their blood again 45 minutes later. And then they compared the first uh, blood test with the second blood test. And this is, this is incredible what, what, what happened. The first person was given a dose of 100 grams of glucose. Two were given 75 grams. Four were given 50 grams. And the bottom two got 25 grams. So they were given sugar, like they ate a Snickers bar, right? Yes, only they took glucose, but it would be like eating a Snickers bar. And it bar. was really measured. And it was very closely measured, and they had the phagocytic index without the glucose. And then 45 minutes after they took various doses of glucose, they took another phagocytic index. All showed some form of decrease in their number index, um, regardless of how much they had. Whether they had 100, uh, 100 grams of glucose or they had as little as 25 grams. They all showed. They a all showed a decrease in the phagocytic index, but that's not the scariest part. Now, be based on the original studies, the diabetics who had high blood sugar in the morning had lower phagocytic indices. One would expect that if you had normal blood sugar and you had a bunch of sugar in your diet, you'd also have a lower phagocytic indices. Well, here's what's really important. In 1973, they picked the study up again nine years after the first one. And the researchers this time added a bunch of different stuff, not just glucose. They, they tried glucose. They tried sucrose. They tried fructose. They tried honey. They tried orange juice. They tried complex carbohydrates that were in bread and other kinds of grain. And probably they, they used the same measurement. The they used the same measurement, grams. the same kind of study, 100 grams of the source of sugar, but they used a lot of different sugars. And here's what they found. Starch was the only thing that did not seem to lower the phagocytic index by a significant or, or, or scary amount. But the scariest thing about this is that even the healthy people, after they would ingest sugar, um, and they saw the phagocytic index drop. And you skipped over a part, too, because it tanked from 14 to 1 in the previous study in 1964. The phagocytic index tanked 
then again, it happened in 1973. The phagocytic index also tanked, but then what happened? It took, well, how long did it take to come back up to normal? It could take up to three days. That was the point I was trying to make. Yeah. Was that in many cases it would take between a day and a half to three days for the, the subject's phagocytic index to return to the normal. That is so scary. So your immune system does not come back online. Well, it's back stunted. It's stunted, but it doesn't get back to normal. It could take up to three days. Up to three days. Yeah. And they, without a whole lot of sugar. Uh, but they found out that the complex carbohydrates, like in whole grain breads, tortillas, potatoes, potatoes, didn't seem to have that dramatic. It dropped the phagocytic index, but not nearly as much as the processed sugars. And that's why that's the whole reason we brought this up, is that we're not hitting carbs. We're hitting processed sugars, Glucose. which is in almost all of our foods. And so why don't people seem to know uh, more about the sugar effect that, that, that the sugar has on uh, diabetes or on cancer or on the immune system? Especially the immune system. Especially the immune system because there hasn't been a citation in a peer-reviewed research article later than 1979 talking about what we're talking about. Somebody 30, shut them up. 37 years ago was the last published research on how sugar stunts the immune response. That's 37 amazing. 37 years because ago. Because they have proof here that your immune system is so badly hurt for up to three days, and they completely buried it. And that is the main point of this podcast, that we have been duped since 1979. Well, you're dealing with one of the most powerful addictions on the planet. Yeah, and, sugar. You know, even though it's, especially in the state in which we live, Utah, you know, you're always commenting about how sugar is the number one drug of choice it's in Utah. The only legal drug. Uh, the only choice. legal drug in <laughs> yeah. Utah. It's uh, an acceptable addiction, is what you, it is. Sugar is the number one drug of choice coast to coast in this country, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Because it has a drug-like effect on the body. How do we know that? Because it has a withdrawal symptom if you come off of it. Yeah, headaches, um, low energy, mood swings, um, depression. Very strong cravings that usually turn you back into sugar again. Yeah, what does turn that Turn you sound? back to sugar. Back to well, sugar. Some people look like a, a big sugar. Yeah, cube. they call it the white plague. Yes. That's what they're starting to call it. Because it rivals cocaine. Yeah, it, it excites the same areas of the brain that cocaine and heroin do, and morphine also. So it's very addictive, and we use this sanctioned addiction to celebrate and to lavish on children when they do something right. Yeah, I remember when uh, Rourke Let's was, give in, you some alcohol was in middle school. <laughs> um, it was like every other Friday or every third, once a, once a month or something like that. Have a like little that. heroin. Have your dads come in yeah. for an hour with us. And when you go in there, there's nothing but orange juice and glazed donuts. Yeah. That's the treat to get dads to come in to spend dad, an hour dads of are reading too. with their kids. <laughs> Jeez. So we just hand them morphine, heroin, and cocaine. And, and then, then uh, uh, there's a lot of mothers that I take care of in the clinic that will have little kids with them, the, the preschool kids, and they're sitting there with little baggies of breakfast cereal, sweetened 
you know, the colored, I don't want to mention names, yeah. but the different colors of breakfast cereal or they or they are going to have um, Sour Patch Kids or they have M&M's yeah. or they have the little orange goldfish or something like that. Yeah, and you, you know, just as you can't get off heroin without help, you can't get off sugar without help. And a lot of people think that you can just white-knuckle it and you can just get off sugar, but you can't. You'll always relapse and go back unless you fix the gut. Yes. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Well, how much sugar is too much? Well, you know, if you're a healthy person, you can handle some sugar in your life. Um, two, a healthy individual can handle two teaspoons at one time, but no more than two to three times a day. So a totally total of two tablespoons. Yeah. So you think of that through the day. We're going to show you a chart here in a little while, but you think of that through the day. A healthy person cannot handle any more than two tablespoons. And you think that's not... Now, handle without the increasing, the phagocytic index yeah. decreasing and eventually getting to a pancreatic burnout. Yeah. The pancreas just burning out because it just can't make enough insulin to keep up with what your sugar demand is. Yeah. So this means any sugar, white table sugar, um, dehydrated cane juice sugar, maple syrup, honey, dextrose, brown, brown rice sugar, maple sugar, or coconut sugar. For unhealthy individuals, no amount of sugar is recommended. Yeah. Now, when we, we, a couple of those sugars are considered healthy sugars that you were just reading, um, but we're talking about added. Added. Yeah, we're talking about... You know, when you start adding sugar to what's already in your foods, what's acceptable, maybe a couple of tablespoons, that's it. Yeah, because most people can handle an occasional dessert. And you know, we rarely, I mean, maybe once a year get a dessert. At a restaurant. Yeah, if it's yeah. somebody's birthday or something, we might take a bite. But we, we don't do that. There, there are some natural sweeteners that are way less deleterious to your health. And let's just... Let well, there's maple syrup maple sugar, raw honey that's unfiltered. How do you know if their honey is really raw? It's crystallized at room temperature. It's not soft. It's kind of hard. you got to dig it out with a spoon. If it's running, you know, like uh, like those little uh, wooden little... sticks that they have with the little ridges on them mm -hmm. and you stick it down in the honey jar to pull the honey out, that is not raw honey. And those, those little bears you turn upside down? Yeah, and... that's not raw honey. Yeah. So we're talking about raw honey. Now, are those kinds of honey not good for you? It depends on how they were processed, and I don't know. There's a lot of different brands. But when you're talking raw, unfiltered honey, it's solid at room temperature, and you got to dig it out with a spoon. Now, 100% pure, raw Tupelo honey, which we have a jar of it down there on the counter, just mm -hmm. saw it a few minutes ago, will not raise the blood sugar. For some reason, Tupelo honey won't raise blood sugar. Yeah, Joseph Antel told us about yeah. this. He's a really incredible guy that works with for standard process. There's also green stevia leaves and powder. The thing to remember about stevia is you want the whole stevia thing, the powdered stevia, not the extract. Yes, and um, they they the commercial industry there's a brand called Stevia in the Raw which is the first ingredient is dextrose. It's dextrose. Yeah, it's so crazy. So be yeah. careful. Watch out for that. And then there's a coconut, palm or date sugar, uh, dehydrated Sugar cane juice, sorghum syrup. Those, those are good. Nature, I mean, nature made those things. Nature made them, but you could, yeah. Now, what about the sweeteners out there that nature didn't make? Yeah. The main one, of course, that is so damaging to your health is high fructose corn syrup. 
Yeah, it's um, worse than sugar. Way worse, yeah. It's um, made by a process that converts starch, glucose, into a form of sugar, fructose, that the body can't use well because the liver has to break it down first. It's been associated with liver damage, and this is why you don't see runners out there eating fruit before they run. No, because, because the, the liver has to break it down before they right. can use the energy from yeah, it. Yeah, fructose doesn't raise the insulin level. And fructose, once it gets into the bloodstream, goes straight to the liver, and the liver has to make a conversion yeah. into glucose. has to change the orientation. It's a six-carbon sugar, just like glucose is a six-carbon sugar, so is fructose. But its orientation as such is the body can't use fructose. It has to be converted to glucose in order for it to do it. And so through when they, the liver. Through the liver. And, well, some of it will take place in the cells, but mostly it takes place in the liver. And what happens is that when you see people getting ready to run a half marathon or a marathon or whatever else, what they've been eating the day before and that morning of the race and stuff, oatmeal, grains, they've been eating uh, pastas, things like that, because they're loaded with glucose. And that breaks down fast into the body that can give them energy. But you're not seeing them loading up on apricots because that takes too long to get the energy out of it. And then you have... Um, but when you have manufactured fructose, which they call high fructose, because it's altered from the way nature makes it, but it's very sweet. So that's why a lot of people will... And it's cheap. They can make, they can make high fructose corn syrup by the train car They load. don't have to grow fruit. No. Nope. They just take starch. And they put it through a process that involves um, sulfuric acid and a few other things to convert it into fructose. I mean, it's terrible. Anyway. Well, I wanted to squeeze in here the fructose that um, Steve Jobs ate. He would never have touched Coke or anything like that or any kind of soft drink, but he drank so much, much fruit juices. In fact, still on the Apple campus, they have fruit juices galore. They don't have Coke machines or soda pop machines. And it just, it just destroyed his liver. He had to have a liver transplant, remember? Yep. And then, of course, he died of pancreatic cancer. Just completely burned it out, I suppose. So you think all this fruit juices you're giving your kids, you think it's safe? Uh, it's, it's sugar. Yeah. It's still sugar in the form of fructose. So the high fructose corn syrup has um, been shown with a study on rats that they ended up with livers like those of alcoholics, and they don't reproduce. Yes, they lost their ability to reproduce. So stay away from that high fructose corn syrup. Then there's agave. Agave is the big fad out there now. It's because it's sold in health food stores. Yeah. But it's made the same way that high fructose corn syrup is. It's a dangerous sweetener, and it can have up to as much as 90% of free manufactured fructose. No, no, it came from the agave plant. No, no, <laughs> it's white, white powdered sugar that you're going to make, you know, uh, your, your cake mixes or something with came out of a plant, too, called sugar cane. When it was in the sugar cane, it was fine. When the sweetener was in the agave plant, it was fine. But when you take it and concentrate it, you might as well be taking cocoa leaves and turning it into cocaine because you're going to end up with the same concentrated toxic poison the body simply can't handle. Wow. And then there's the processed fruit juices you already talked about a moment ago with Steve Jobs. Yeah, these are um, fructose. And the liver, again, has to process it, so it leads to the same kind of problems we see in alcoholics, just an overburdened liver. All right, try this one. You ever heard of aspartame? <laughs> yeah. 
we were flying recently and the lady next to me <laughs> ordered her diet coke you know and it's all i can do is to grab my knees and just put scratch holes into my pants you know <laughs> it just kills me the aspartame the artificial sweetener in nutrasweet and equal those little blue packets which should be outlawed I just can't believe it. It's toxic to the nervous system. It is a nerve poison because when it's digested and it becomes warm, right? Yeah, it, it's somewhere around 88, 89 degrees, 90 degrees. And, of course, your body temperature is higher than that. Yeah. So it then breaks. suddenly it breaks into methanol and formaldehyde. Methanol is wood alcohol that you were told would make you blind in eighth grade <laughs> biology. So don't go drink. Don't drink the rubbing don't alcohol. Don't drink rubbing alcohol. Don't drink methanol. Just but, eat your Diet Coke. <laughs> yes. And then formaldehyde is a preservative, and it's also carcinogenic to the human body. Can you imagine how much? But this is prote it's a protected industry. Congress, Congress allows this to happen because the people who make these artificial sweeteners spend an awful lot of money on congressional re-election campaigns. And aspartame, we know it can cause headaches, seizures, brain cancer, nerve disorders, damaged vision. Uh, and even though it's been touted for weight loss, I mean, why are you drinking a Diet Coke? Well, I'm trying to lose weight. Yeah. Well, it causes weight gain. It says in animal studies, aspartame caused weight gain. Then there's sucralose. Splenda. Splenda. Because when aspartame got a bad name, they came out with something else. Splenda. <laughs> At least we're not as bad as aspartame. <laughs> But let's not take aspartame off the market or anything like that. You know, just keep that formaldehyde and methanol in you. Well, Splenda causes a lot of problems in test animals, including reduced immunity, decreased red blood cells, problems with the liver and kidneys, problems with pregnancy, and low birth weight babies. Yeah, but the worst part about Splenda is it disrupts yes. normal intestinal flora because it's high in chlorine. Right. It kind of like sterilizes your gut. That is not a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah, keep... Don't do the Splendid. Don't do the Equal, the NutraSweeter, which is name, its real name is Aspartame. And don't then, do. And then chlorine uh, will block iodine receptor sites yeah, if you get enough of it in you. Yeah, chlorine's real bad. Bromine's worse, um, but chlorine is real bad for blocking iodine. Then there's other sweeteners. We're not going to explain them. We just mentioned corn syrup, fructose, of course, which we've already said, uh, include the, especially the fruit juice concentrate. Even if it's a hundred percent fruit juice, yeah, stay away from Dextrose, it. Dextrose, glucose, brown rice syrup, imitation syrups, heated honey. When you heat honey, you change its its uh, consistency. Stevia extract, which is different than stevia powder. Make sure if you're using stevia, it's powdered. It's not an extract that looks like a powder. And you know they're starting to come out with some stuff on stevia too, because I think we way overdo it. We're supposed to get all different types of tastes in our mouth, bitter, sour, sweet, but we just... And salt. And salt, yes. And we just way overdo the sweet. Yes. So, you know, even though you think sweet, stevia is a safe sugar, you know, try to back off of it. Try and try, just be careful with it. There's maltodextrin and the sugar alcohol, xylitol, mannitol, erythritol, sorbitol. Yeah. And they're, they all have the same... Tagline, at least we're not sugar. Well, it doesn't make it any better. Yeah. And xylitol is in a lot of different chewing gums. So where are we going to find sugar? Where do we finally commonly find large amounts of sugar that we don't normally think about? Well, do you know in Kool-Aid, just eight ounces of Kool-Aid, there are six teaspoons of sugar. Now, just just think about that for a second. If you... If you, you couldn't force me to eat six suppose teaspoons you, of suppose sugar you had a cup of tea and to be safe here i'll say or, uh, uh, organic herbal tea 
mm-hmm. and you wanted to sweeten it, would you put in six teaspoons of sugar into that cup of tea? That's crazy. Well, that's what's in Kool-Aid. Cool. Just eight ounces. Yeah, just, just an eight-ounce cup. That's yeah. not even a 12-ounce cup. Yeah, it's an eight-ounce. Jello. Oh, one... no, don't you be dissing Jello. Jello. Yeah, Jello. <laughs> one-third cup, 4.5 teaspoons. Um, Yoplait yogurt, flavored. Six ounces, which is teeny. There's eight teaspoons of sugar. That's why you're always calling Yoplait, or not that brand, but yogurt, just ice most cream. Com- yeah, most commercial yogurts are nothing but soft ice cream. Yeah, eight teaspoons in six ounces. Here's a good one, Captain Crunch cereal, just two cups. Now, who just eats just two cups of Captain Crunch cereal? Well, the last time I had it this morning for breakfast, I <laughs> ate half a box. <laughs> Captain Crunch, two cups which is not very much at all, eight teaspoons of sugar. Wow. Now, that we, we could list a bunch of other uh, cho- sweetened children's cereals. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we but they're all about those. the same. They're all about, because the only way kids would eat that crap, and that's what it is, is crap. Is it tastes like nothing. Is to load it up with sugar. Yeah. I can't, I can't, the, the thought that of all the sh- cereals I fed to my kids just makes me sick. Tropicana orange juice. Yeah, Tropicana orange juice. You think that's a pretty good thing to eat, you know? It's it's orange juice. It's from oranges. Eight ounces of that has 5.5 teaspoons of sugar. And this is why I have some patients who ask me from time to time, uh, when I got a cold, I started drinking orange juice and I got sicker. Yeah. All that sugar. Because all that sugar lowered your phagocytic index and killed your immune system for a couple of days. That's why you went on for two weeks of sickness. Yeah, you ran across some germ. And they, you, when and your phagocytic index is down for the next three days, and then you come across somebody that's got the flu. Guess what you're going to get. Guess what you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why everybody gets sick after Halloween and after Thanksgiving and after Christmas. Yeah. All those sugary treats. So ketchup, two tablespoons of Czech ketchup, you get one point. Five teaspoons, and you know, you know, you eat more than two tablespoons when you use ketchup. Yeah, if, if I have a hot dog with a loaded with nitrites <laughs> on a white bread with bromine in it, bo- bo- bun with bromine in it, you think <laughs> I'm going to hold back on the ketchup just because there's <laughs> one and a half teaspoons per ta- one and a half teaspoons of sugar per two tablespoons of ketchup? Yeah. No, I'm going to load that thing up. I'm think. Boy, if I'm going to eat these bad sodium nitrites, I'm just going to have a real party with it. <laughs> In a Pop-Tart, one Pop-Tart, 3.8 teaspoons of sugar. Those Remember those poor kids that we we highlighted on our yeah. show that had Pop-Tarts in front of them? They were no. so sick. Serious gut dysbiosis. They had to eat with feeding being, tubes. Yeah, they had to have gas, nasogastric tubes, and they're being fed Pop-Tarts. And lollipops. Yes. Yeah. And original Gatorade, 20 ounces, um, nine teaspoons. Yes. And you'll also get bromine in that if you get a green or a yellow Gatorade. How about the big granddaddy of them all? Soda. The one we saved for last. (laughs) Soda pop. That diet. Soft drinks. Yeah, not Diet Coke, but the regular soda drink, just 12 ounces. You get a whopping 16 And a half. Five. 16 and a half teaspoons of sugar in a 12-ounce can of soft drink. Now, what about those people when you pull into the gas station and they're walking out with one of those big 64-ounce things, 64-ounce cups, and now they, one of these stores has even bigger than that. So 64 ounces, that is, how many times does 12 go into that? 36, 3 or 4? Four, five, some maybe five times, six times, something like that. 
that would be that's almost a hundred teaspoons, teaspoons of sugar. You know, you could you could tie somebody to a chair and you every morning and st- and get out white sugar and you know teaspoons of it and just make them eat. 16 and a half teaspoons of sugar. And they would, you know, it would be cruel and unusual punishment. There are people who have 16, 32, 16. Oh, that's just four. That's just four cans of pop. There are people who will drink four cans of pop during the day. Oh, easily. They stop by the convenience store on their way to work and they get a uh, donut and maybe fill up their little insulated cup. And then they'll do it at lunch and maybe do it on the way home. And they're having 64 teaspoons of sugar before they even get home for dinner. Wow. Who's going to sit there and eat 64 teaspoons? But when you drink it. Yeah. And, you know, and, I mean, you, know, and you, could, you could do that with, you could drink the um, Diet Coke, but then you got the aspartame. So it's like, <laughs> which, you got a nerve poison here and you have a phagocyte disruptor. <laughs> so it's a, it's a problem. Uh, we've already gone on here for about 40 minutes in this podcast, but I, I want to throw in the jelly bean study. I talked about that once before, didn't I? Where they took a bunch of people and they had them in two different groups and they were feeding them 3,500 calories a day of food, this group A and group B, and they got the same food. And after a couple of weeks, they took 500 calories away from group A of normal food and replaced it with 500 calories of jelly beans. And in group B, they took out 500 calories of food and replaced it with 500 calories of soft drinks. Oh, nope, I said that all wrong. I said that all wrong. Group A had 3,500 calories. Group B had 3,500 calories. To group A, they added 500 calories of jelly beans. To group B, they added 500 calories of soft drinks. Over the next two weeks, the group that had jelly beans replaced by their own choice, because they couldn't eat that much, they replaced 500 calories of their 3,500-calorie food with those 500 calories of jelly beans. So they still were only eating 3,500 calories a day. The group that had the 3,500 calories of food and added to it 500 calories of soft drink kept the 500 calories of soft drink on top of the 3,500 calories of food. In other words, the soft drink didn't replace anything. It just added more sugar to their daily intake without giving them some kind of a filling nature that they could cut back on the food they were eating. Now, I hope that wasn't too confusing. It's a little confusing. But the 3,500 the calories... But they don't lose weight, even with aspartame, no. the, as the study showed. Yeah, it actually made them gain weight. Yes, so it, it made pop, them more hungry. Yeah, pop of any form, in any... I mean, soda pop... You know, if you, even if you get the diet, you got the aspartame. That's why Dr. Wiley, in 1906, when the FDA was first formed, one of his first actions was to outlaw, outlaw Coca-Cola. Yeah. He said, Coca-Cola is killing people. And but, then they stopped the interstate transportation of Coca-Cola, which to this day is still illegal to cross, to manufacture it in one state and sell it in another. That's why you see Coca-Cola distributors all over the place, because they don't go across state lines. Yeah. Okay, well, the good news is is that the New York Times dug deep, and they came out with an article just last week. It's September 12, 2016. Right. It's called How the Sugar Industry Shifted Blame to Fat. This is, this is groundbreaking. This is going to get you angry. Yeah, this is, this is one of the comments in the article. This may, well, 
you'll reel with anger with what happened. This is why you have never heard anything bad about sugar since 1979, because the sugar it's suppressed. Yeah, the sugar industry paid scientists in the 1960s to play down the link between sugar and heart disease and promote saturated fat as the culprit instead. Yes. This document, and you can read it yourself, September 12, 2016, an article by Anahad O'Connor in the New York Times. And what they show is that there was a trade group called the Sugar Research Foundation that's known today as the Sugar Association, and they paid three Harvard scientists, the equivalent of about $50,000 in today's bucks, to publish a 1967 review of research on sugar, fat, and heart disease. These studies were handpicked by the Sugar Group, and the article, which you can see through the newspaper, was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it minimized, it lessened the link between sugar and heart health and turned a terrible aspersion on saturated fats. In other words, they started saying how saturated fat was the enemy, not sugar. Not These sugar. scientists were paid off to do this. So last year, an article in the New York Times showed that Coca-Cola, the world's largest producer of sugary beverages, had provided millions of dollars of funding to researchers who would play down the link between sugary drinks and obesity. And they also made a report that candy makers were funding studies that claimed that children who ate candy tended to weigh less than those that do That's not. That's unbelievable. That is, they were paid to say this. They just picked and... Yeah, this is this is so these the, the Harvard scientists and the sugar executives who who were collaborating on this of course back then are no longer alive. We can't yell at them. No, we we can't <laughs> shoot them. But one of the scientists who was paid by the sugar industry was Mark Hegstead, who went on to become the head of nutrition of the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture. Unbelievable. Where in 1977 he helped to draft the forerunner of the federal government's dietary dietary guidelines. One so, of the so, guys who was paid to say, no, sugar's okay, it's fat that's bad, yeah. became the new head nutritionist of the USDA who put together the USDA's dietary guidelines. In 1977. That's why, after 1979, you never heard a bad thing about sugar Unbelievable. again. Unbelievable. Yeah. Talk about the fox in the hen house. Then in a statement responding to the JAMA uh, article we just mentioned, the Sugar Association said that the 1967 review was published at a time when the medical journals didn't typically require searcher, researchers to disclose their funding sources. So nobody knew they were paid $50,000. Well, gee, we didn't know they were paid fifty. you You're right. <laughs> oh, this is, this is just unbelievable. Okay, they, and they said that after several decades of research had concluded that sugar does not have a unique role in heart disease. That's what they put out there, that it doesn't inflame the arteries, doesn't hurt anything. It's just empty calories linked to tooth decay. Yes. That's all I heard. Well, your father was a dentist. I know. I was so raised. sugar was the enemy. Sugar, sugar was, was the enemy. When I was growing up, we had margarine in our house because my parents thought fat was bad. Yeah. Well, we did, too. We took all the—we had margarine growing up, too, but we couldn't have any— the only reason sugar was bad beca was because of tooth decay, and it just filled you up. Yeah. Nothing concerning heart disease. And um, that that's— uh, <sighs> Marion Nestle, who's a professor of nutrition, food studies, and public health at New York University, wrote an editorial that accompanied 
the, the new the paper that came out, and she said this, quote, compelling evidence that the sugar industry has initiated research expressly to exonerate sugar as a major risk factor for coronary heart disease. She says this, I think that's appalling. You just never see examples that are this blatant. Oh, yeah, I'll give you one. William Thompson, that came out of that 2004 study in the CDC that said there was no connection between autism and the MMR shot, has now come out and said, hey, we were paid to shut up. Yeah. Yes, there left. is. That should be front page news, just like this should be front page news. And they came out and said, yeah, we were paid to shut up. We were told to shut up and not tell the full facts of the case. They left yes, out. Yes, the MMR causes autism in little boys. Especially black When was boys. the last time you, yeah, especially African-American children. Yeah. When's the last time you saw the news pick that one up? Yeah, I hope New York Times picks that up sometime. So, well, anyway, the documents go on to show that back in 1964, the top sugar industry executive, John Hickson, had put this plan with others in the industry to shift the public opinion, quote, through our research and information and legislative programs. Paid them off. Now, that's right. When Exactly, Mary. When you see the word legislative programs, what's that mean? They went in and they paid the legislators to pass the laws that promoted sugar over fat. In other fat was the enemy, sugar would be okay, except brush your teeth. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, you know. So at that time, though, studies were beginning to point to a relationship between high sugar diets and the country's high rate of heart disease. So um, at the same time, another scientist, this is a guy, you just love this guy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the prominent Minnesota psychologist Ansel Keys, physiologist or physiologist Ansel Keys, they um, were investigating a competing theory that it was saturated fat and dietary cholesterol that posed the greatest risk for heart disease. And all the research is coming out now saying bullcrap. Yeah. Cholesterol has no relationship to heart disease whatsoever. Forget that nonsense. It's sugar. Yeah, you don't you don't really like Ansel Keys. No, and Ansel Keys, when he came out and did his big study there in the early fifties, talked about nine different countries that had elevated saturated fat and elevated cholesterol and heart disease. He left out the other fourteen countries that have high dietary fat intake and no Heart, heart disease. disease to speak of. He left those out of his study. Yeah, just like the vaccination study. But this is when the sugar industry got in there fast and heavy to cover up what they were doing and blame it all on fat. In 1965, Mr. Hickson enlisted the Harvard researchers, the ones that are dead now, right. to write a review that would debunk the anti-sugar studies. He paid them a total of $6,500, the equivalent of about $50,000 today. Mr. Hickson selected the papers for them to review and made it clear he wanted the results to favor sugar. So this Dr. Hegstead, who was doing the study, said this, quote, We are well aware of your particular interest. We will cover this as well as we can. Yeah. You know, so, so there goes truth. Here comes the money. Yeah. Um, Dr. Hickson, Mr. Hickson said that he was pleased with what they were writing. They started sharing the Harvard scientists had dismissed the data on sugar as weak and given far more credence to the data implicating saturated fat. So Mr. Hickson's wrote, Let me assure you that this is quite what we had in mind, and we look forward to its appearance in print. Yes. Sugar bad. Or sugar good, fat bad. Fat bad. So and now we have two diseases, and we'll get to those here in a second, um, 
Leading diseases, leading killers in America directly related to sugar, heart disease and cancer. Yeah. The debate about sugar and heart disease died down after this while low-fat diets gained the endorsement of many health authorities. By today's standards, they behave very badly, he said. That's how the article ends. The word is criminal. Yeah, it is. It's killed so many people. Um, There's a letter to the editor, I mean, a comment on this article in the New York Times, a really good comment. But this person says, like millions of health-conscious Americans of my generation, I believe for decades that fat was the enemy and that sugar was the o- was only bad insofar as its calories were empty of nutrients. To a fair extent, I tailored my dietary habits accordingly. Now it turns out we were duped by corrupt scientists in the pay of the sugar industry. I am reeling. Yeah, yeah, and there are people who are dying. So we we titled this thing "100 Ways 108 Ways Sugar Can Ruin Your Health." We'll have a handout with this that goes through the 108 ways, plus every single one of those 108 ways referenced, documented, documented to a reliable with a source. Study, with a study saying this is why sugar can suppress the immune system, which is the number one deleterious effect sugar has on your health, is suppressing right. the immune system. And we went through that study with the phagocyte index. Now, we want to get through this next section really fast because this is really lengthy. It's, it's gone on for several minutes now. Um, and that's two substances that cancer loves, glucose and ascorbic acid. This Again, this goes back to 1998, Johns Hopkins press release from their Cancer Research Center, February 16, 1998. Cancer cells self-destruct when the sweet tooth is thwarted. So basically the study showed that if you... Cancer will self-destruct if you stop feeding all it. Sugar. It's a food. Fir- it's number one food <laughs> is sugar. Sugar, glucose. Yeah. So the second we hear of a patient that has cancer of any kind, we say absolutely no sugar at all. At all. At all, all forms of sugar must stop Everything. immediately. And yeah, most cancer programs will put you on a diet of. You know, well, yeah, they turn vegetables you, and fruit and juicing. Yes, and they tons turn you over to the dietitian who will load you up with sugar. Sugar, sugar, sugar. You know, I have in the office a handout from one of the cancer hospitals here in Utah for a patient that had stomach cancer, and you could not believe what was on that list. I remember. It has I chocolate remember. chips. Yes, I remember. It had margarine. Yeah. It had it had um, fruit juices all through it yes. everywhere because it was more important, they said, for him to gain weight. That was what the dietitian was trying to do. And so they thought, well, sugar will make you gain weight. So they had him well, eat sugar. Well, they had that sugar. part right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because, <laughs> you know, we just want to get the end results of you gaining weight. We don't care that it, you know, is your demise. But anyway, um, that's... Then, then the other thing, I'm sorry. To no, no, no. Sugar's the killer Number for one. Cancer. The other thing is ascorbic acid. Vitamin C. What is commonly understood, misunderstood to be vitamin C. Ascorbic acid is part of the vitamin C molecule, not the whole thing. But why do cancer cells load themselves up with ascorbic acid? Well, ascorbic acid goes in the same openings that sugar goes into. In the cell itself. In the cell, because it gets energy from the sugar. And so the same openings ascorbic acid comes in. But the diabolical thing about that is the ascorbic acid, the vitamin C that that we call it now, is an antioxidant, and so when it goes into those same cells, those same openings that sugar goes into a tumor, it seals itself off. 
Because well, it's an antioxidant. What happens is that when the uh, leukocytes, the natural killer cell, mm-hmm. uh, attacks cancer cells, because that's the main thing that attacks cancer cells in your body is the natural killer. As it bites that cancer cell, it injects, its, injects it with oxidizing chemicals. And, and what repels that? The well, antioxidants. antioxidants. <laughs> this is like from Star Trek. Yeah. You know, what, what shields, was it nine levels of shields or some full shields? Or, you could have nine different levels of shields in Star Trek. I remember that in one particular episode, depending on how strong you want the shields to be. That's what cancer does. Cancer takes vitamin C and uses it to shield itself. As the sh- <laughs> and there, there are people out there touting ascorbic acid as a cancer treatment. I know. They put it IV. Oh, they give it we to were just IV. at a, dent, a doctor's office the other day, and they were show, proudly showing off the IV room where they put ascorbic acid into their veins. Unbelievable. Boy, I hope they don't have any cancer. Well, again, this is from Johns Hopkins. I mean, this is not like some run-of-the-mill Cracker Jack Medical School. This is one of the leading medical research institutions in America. Quote, scientists have observed for more than 70 years that most types of cancer cells are sugar junkies. They rely heavily on glucose to produce energy and to multiply. Yeah, because they're very primitive cells. Cancer cells are very primitive. They, they come from stem cells that don't mature properly, and they want the simplest, easiest energy source they can get, and that's glucose. So this Dr. Chai Dong Uh, who was the director of hematology and the study's lead author, said this, quote, In fact, when we remove glucose from these cells, they commit suicide, basically (laughs) as compared to a normal cell. So there you go. You want cancer cells to commit suicide? Stop the sugar. Um, We also just recently had a um, testimonial come in to us. Um, We don't have time to read it right here. It will be on the webinar but it it's somebody that had tremors, really bad tremors. You've been seeing this patient for about 10 years. Yeah, diagnosed. No, with, four to five years. Yeah, diagnosed with Parkinson's. Terrible shaking. In fact, you'd wonder how she could even walk her shaking was so bad. Yeah, she's had it for 10 years. She saw you about four years ago. Immediately, it says in this that you were able to stop the shaking. For, in one correction. In one correction. And she did really well for a couple of years, and then the corrections... The last few, this the, just this summer, the last few didn't seem to be as effective at all. And I said, it's time to look at the gut. Yeah. We've talked about your food choices in the past. It's time to look at the gut seriously. So he said, uh, admittedly, my wife ate not so so well, and she said she lived on coffee and... What's that? Oh, coffee mate. She ate very poorly. So they started on the broth, and they started on the GAPS diet, and... All the tremors stopped, and she says that... Um, five days. Five days, my wife was tremor-free, and then after years of tremors, she can finally walk a straight line and is free of pain in her leg and her neck. Um, basically, she's back to a normal life, which she has not had in over 10 years. Yeah. So these are the foundational things that nobody will tell you, that we as the Forbidden Doctor want you to know. You get your spine in a line so it frees up all the nerves, and then you get your gut healthy. And this, just the um, amount of help that that can give you. So just recapping here, the average American is eating 180 pounds of sugar a year. That's a half a cup per day or four ounces or eight tablespoons or Forget the 16 tablespoons in a can of pop. <sighs> Even if you have no can of pop, the average American, 24 teaspoons of sugar a day. 
There are 8 to 12, as we said, up to 16 in a 12-ounce can of soda. Three cans of soda would, you know, it mounts and mounts. And then all the other processed sugars, our breakfast cereals, morning coffee or juice, sweet rolls, donuts, candy, mid-morning snacks, bagels, lunch of fast foods, mid-afternoon snacks, snacks, processed dinners and desserts. You might want to slow down and think about this. The obesity rate in America right now, 35%. One in three Americans obese. And cancer is now the number one leading cause it's moving of death of for children. Disease. It's the number one of, of children, right. So we also have included uh, in the uh, webinar. Um, webinar here diseases that are caused by sugar. There's everything from compromised wound healing to premature aging, erectile dysfunction. Osteoporosis, poor sleep, kidney mal disease, malnutrition, just cardiovascular disease, just in cancer, probably number one. Yeah. So, so um, this is one of the reasons why we created the Long Life Energy Enzymes, to make sure that your pancreas has some really good pancreatic support. Does, we're not representing these enzymes as curing these diseases by any means. We're not saying that. That's not what it's for. It's to give your pancreas a rest. It's to help bring your pancreas back to its normal, healthy state. We made this ourselves. And the demand for this, we just went and picked up another, what, 300 bottles yesterday mm -hmm. because of the demand for this product. So you're going to keep eating sugar. Everybody's going to keep oh, eating yeah, sugar. People aren't going to stop eating sugar because of this podcast. Yeah, so even though it's, it scared me, <laughs> take your Long Life Energy Enzymes to help counteract all the sugar that you eat. And hopefully... And wherever you can use some of the natural sugars we talked about in replace of, to replace the processed sugars, you're a step ahead just doing that. Okay. All right, that'll do hope it. This was a long this. one. Yeah, hope you've enjoyed it, and we will see you next week. All right, we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Forbidden Doctor podcast with Dr. Jack and Mary Stockwell. It's our pleasure to join you on your health revolution and look forward to our quest for health together. Join us again next week for more health secrets and forbidden truths about self-healing. Until then, visit ForbiddenDoctor.com and enter your email to receive a special coupon for the Forbidden Doctor special scientific formula, our long-life energy enzymes. This custom-made one-capsule supplement is created from the most concentrated energy-stimulating enzymes. For more information, be sure to head over to ForbiddenDoctor.com. These podcasts are provided for information only. The previous statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Nothing that was said is intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.